morning, I'm going to do a quick recap, all right, a quick recap of where we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you remember chapter 1 to 4, Paul confronts, rebukes, and corrects the division that was deeply embedded in the church of Corinth, right? He, he engages over this and says, guys, this is ridiculous, that if you are anchored in the gospel, there should be no division, Despite the fact that there's so much diversity here, we should embrace that diversity and not use it to cause divisions. He does this in chapter 1 to chapter 4. Chapters 5 to 7, here Paul addresses the issue of sexual immorality and lays out how Christians are to conduct themselves, especially in a self-gratifying culture. It was true back then and it's still true today. And so we, we worked through that. Chapters 8 to 10, Paul deals with how believers are to exercise their freedoms within the church. He also focuses extensively on the issue of idolatry. We looked at that. How idolatry can, can take a hold of our hearts and keep us from our relationship with God. Chapters 11 to 14, Paul gives instruction on how Christians are to conduct themselves in the worship gatherings. He states that the active manifestation of the Spirit should be encouraged. He emphasizes that everything should be done in an orderly manner and that above all gifts, all right, so above all gifts, loving God and loving people must be primary. We saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that, that we are called to love God and then love others. And then chapter 15, the longest chapter in the New Testament, Paul unpacks the beautiful truth that Jesus died and that he was buried and then he rose again, having conquered death and sin. And that Jesus is alive, that today Jesus is alive, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And that that has massive implications for our lives today. That's where we've been. These last 30 weeks, that's where we have been. And so all of that brings us to chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the grand finale. And so what I like to do is I'm going to read this chapter to you. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow there as well. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so 1 Corinthians Chapter 16, hear these words of our Father. Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia. For I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door of effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. 
I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for your word. Uh, We are thankful that it continues to work uh, in the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do the work that only you can do this very morning. Would you meet us where we are? What an incredible journey it's been navigating through this letter. How relevant it was back then and how relevant it is today. And because of that, it it joins us together that we are one body, one church, and we will see that this morning. And so, Lord, I ask that you would remove any distractions here this morning, that you would keep the evil one at bay. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. So chapter 16. Chapter 16 is Paul's final instructions to a young, growing, vibrant, spirit-filled, yet deeply divided church. Just a few years after they were planted, the church had forgotten who they were in Christ. Division is the first sign that the gospel is lost. A deep belief in the gospel, a love for Jesus, will make our identity in Christ stronger. And a strong identity in Christ will take our identity with and love for one another deeper. Through faith, Jesus adopts many children together into one family where each individual surrenders their own desires, yields their own needs to the needs of others, and contributes their own talents towards fulfilling the one mission for the glory of Jesus. See, the Corinthian church, however, is full of individuals competing against one another, pursuing their own glory. Paul's intent in writing and hours over these last 30 weeks in preaching is to get everyone to repent of their own agendas, to get on mission together with Jesus. See, sadly, the greatest hindrance to the mission of God is his own people. See, this temporary passing uh, earth with its many desires, its fame and money and accolades are not important when looking forward to the coming of Jesus. 
See, this letter climaxes in chapter 15, proclaiming the belief in the resurrection. We saw this over the last two weeks. Now, after a full chapter of directing our eyes towards eternity, longing for eternity, groaning for eternity, Paul focuses them back on earth. He wants to remind them that, hey, we are one church. We long for the coming of Jesus where he will make all things new. But right now, today, this very Sunday, we are one church. And this one church has one mission, driven by one gospel. But let's look in the first four verses where Paul reminds the Corinthians of this one church. Look with me, verse 1 to 4. He says, now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. At the close of chapter 15, Paul reminded the Corinthians that their present labor is not in vain. Remember that. The first thing that Paul addresses in chapter 16 is the taking up of a one-time monetary collection for the saints. You should be confused if you're not. He says that we're to take up this this one-time collection for the saints, fellow Christians in need in Jerusalem. He tells them quite plainly that each week they should set aside some money based on how God has blessed them, store it up in the church, and be ready to deliver when Paul returns. See, there's something here for us to learn about giving. We should ask ourselves this question. Do we intentionally set aside or store up in order to be able to help other brothers and sisters? Do do we do that? And this is on top of our regular tithing. To set aside some, some money, some resources so that we might be able to give when there is a need. Now, I know many of you already practice this because there have been great needs in this church. And I love hearing the stories of of people just going, hey, man, I I heard about this need I'd love to give. How do I channel these resources that I have that I've saved up in order to give? Gosh, I am thankful to hear testimonies like that. And for those who are sitting here and thinking, man, is he bashing us? No, 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 I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you that if you have crossed the line of faith, that that you should be regularly giving. And here's the thing, guys, you're you're not giving to me. I'm not building a mansion somewhere in Pretoria East, though I'd love to. But you're giving to the church, this this church that is on mission, so that we might be able to take care of the needs of those that are here, but also to take care of those who are outside of this gathering. See, unfortunately, this passage is often used as a springboard to talk about tithing. But you see, in 2 Corinthians, the very next letter after this, we learn that the Corinthians' wealth caused them to struggle with giving. The Corinthians were incredibly wealthy. It's how I talk about us. Think about us. Highly competent, highly educated individuals. They were doing well. They were doing very well, but because of that, they were were struggling to give. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 
shame on you. That in Macedonia, there are other churches who have less than you, but they are giving more than you. I hope that that would not be said of us. Shame on us. In a church with with highly educated, highly competent individuals, middle-class South Africans on the up, that it would not be said of us that there were churches who had far less than we had but gave far more than we did. And so Paul says, listen, guys, you should save something. On top of your regular giving, save something so that we might give. But these first four verses aren't necessarily about tithing. This portion of Scripture is actually about unity. Why the collection at all? See, the greater point is the same one Paul made when he began this letter. All the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Paul is saying there is one church. Corinth is not the only church in the world, just as we are not the only church in the city of Pretoria. See, there is a real danger when we believe that our church, that rooted fellowship, is the only church in Pretoria. There's great danger in thinking that. While we should be grateful for the church that God builds, we must fight not to become so infatuated with ourselves that we believe that the gospel arrived to Pretoria when we planted rooted fellowship. This kind of attitude leads to feeling threatened when God graces a church more than he has graced us. Either with money or people or opportunities, we feel threatened. I hear it all the time at these fraternals. Oh gosh, I heard so-and-so was visiting this church. Why are you going there? What's going on? We become so defensive. Paul reminds us that we are one church. And that we partner with churches in Pretoria. This, this is how we, we break this kind of thinking, by partnering with other churches in Pretoria, churches that are different to us. They hold to the essentials of the gospel. That is the one thing that we will never change. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the return of Jesus Christ. We hold to that. It affirms Him as Lord and Savior. But there's tons of non-essentials, guys. There's tons of non-essentials that sadly churches go to war with one another. How we take communion. We go to war with one another because this church does it in shot glasses and another one does it from up front. We divide the church. Oh, you guys, bass guitar? Well, I I don't know if that's biblical. We are one church. I mean, here's, here's the reality. Many of you come from other churches. And without question, I am glad, hear this, look at me, I am glad that you are here. I am glad that you have decided to make this home. I am glad that you said, hold on, man, I love the vision that God has called some of you on, and I'd love to be a part of that. I I love you more than you could ever imagine. I really do. I love you more than you could ever imagine. But hey, some of us are from different churches. And so I would encourage you regularly to be praying from those churches that you come from. I know you may have been hurt by those churches. 
Maybe you feel like it was for a season of my life and now God's calling me somewhere else. Don't forget the church. Pray for them. Pray for them and figure out how to encourage them. Why? Because we are one church. And so we should be praying for other churches. And so right now, I just want to take the opportunity to do that. I want to take the opportunity to to pray for some churches. Now, I know we're not going to pray for all of them because we'd be here forever. And so this past week, I was just thinking about some churches that we know. Some of them were in kind of an informal partnership, and some of them, man, I'm just friends with the guy who started the church. And I just want to say, bro, we want to pray for you. How can we be praying for you? So I reached out to them. I said, hey, how can we be praying for you? Because we're one church. As we gather here this morning, they gather as well. And that we are one church. And so I want us to, to pray for the union. Some of you know who the union is. It's a, it's a group of churches here in Pretoria. It's a Lichpunt, die Kreis, Church Mamelodi, and us. I'm hearing stories that there's two other churches that are looking to join us. We're not in competition with one another. And so I want us to be praying for the union to say, how can we continue to see the gospel spread in Pretoria? But I also want us to pray for Midrand Bible Church. Some of you were here when Tumi came and preached a killer sermon. Yeah, people were slayed in the spirit and it was, it was epic. I want to pray for Midrand Bible Church. I want to pray for Tumi and Lale Moraba. Their two kids, Ariella and Asha. He asked that we pray that grace would continue to reach Midrand. He asked that we would pray for unity in their community. That they truly would be a multicultural community. I want to pray for some friends in Durban. I want to pray for Harbor City. I've just recently uh, met this couple. Harbor City in Durban, led by Grant and Michelle Clark. They ask that we pray for more leaders to be raised up as they're seeking to, to appoint elders and deacons. That they want to launch in 2018 some new life groups. And so they ask we pray for that. That we would pray for greater fruitfulness in preaching the gospel and making disciples in Durban. It's crazy. I meet the guy and, and I start talking about Rooted. And he's like, after every sentence, he's like, I know, I know. Hey, I love what you guys are doing with the lights in the hall because we also meet at a school hall. I'm like, how do you know that? power of Instagram. <laughs> I want to pray for Sitle and Letabo who lead Grace Chapel Durban. This is a church revitalization. Guys, that is way harder than church planting. Way harder than church planting. Having I mean, to go into an existing church and try to, to get the thing to grow again. So I want to pray for Sitle and Letabo. He asked that we pray that they continue to find joy in serving the Lord. Pray for Letabo's health. They're expecting their first baby. What a joy. To pray for the church in this crucial time of strategy as they think through this revitalization. And then to pray for Seatless' trip to New York. He's about to go to New York to redeem a city to city. We're affiliated with city to city to do the same training that I did in 2013. I got to go with my wife. It's a great, great opportunity. Hey, guys, and we get to help in that. I'm not trying to boast. I'm just saying, guys, this is what you guys give to. He was like, I'm coming short on some funds. One of my sponsors couldn't come through. Can you reach out to some context? I was like, hey, bro, we'd love to give to that. We as Rooted, not honor and confidence, we as Rooted would love to give to that. 
because we were able to store a little bit up to be able to help those in need. And then all the way in Cape Town, because gosh, Cape Town needs prayer. I want to pray for Red Post Church. Red Post Church that led by Cameron and Leletu Shabangu. This is such a cool story. They've been meeting for, for a month now. It's brand new. Brand new. And, and this is what was encouraging about it. I met with him two weeks ago. And he says, hey man, this is who we are. We are Red Post Church. We are a gospel-centered, a innovative, hear this, transcultural church. And then I was like, Jesus, now you're just showing off. No partnership, no nothing. He's just like, man, I, I've been hearing what God is doing, and, and we're wanting to see something similar in the city of Cape Town. And so I said, how can we be praying for you? He says, pray that our church plant would continue to grow, and that they're in the process of appointing interns and, and full-time workers, and so that God would raise those up. And so we're just briefly going to pray. I'm going to pray for these, and then OG will come up and pray for some more of these churches. And so join me. Join me as we are reminded that we are one church. And so, Lord, we come now and, and ask that you would bless the union. That the union would be known as a group of churches who come and gather in order to see the gospel spread throughout the city of Pretoria and beyond. And so give, give, Lord, all that is needed for that. Lord, I want to pray for Midrand Bible Church, that they would reach Midrand. I pray for unity in that body. I pray that they truly would be a multicultural church. I pray for Harbor City and Durban, that you would raise up leaders. I pray for 2018, that you would open up doors of massive opportunity, that new life groups would be established. I pray for Sitle and Latabo for their miracle, the miracle that is happening in her belly continue to grow that, and, and that their child would be healthy. I pray for Seatless' trip to New York, that that would be fruitful as well. Make great connections, great connections, Lord. I ask that you would do all of these in your beautiful and miraculous name. Lord, um, just pray for Cameron and Liletu from Red Post in Cape Town. We pray for their church plant, that you would, God, bless it and grow it that all would see your hand on and over it all. Father, we pray that you would raise up leaders and reveal workers as they begin the process of looking for apprentices and full-time workers. Heading up a church plant is no small thing, and so, Lord, we pray for Cameron and Leleto that they may find their strength in you, continue to lean on you in tough times, and that you, Spirit, would keep them, keep working in them. <coughs> as they keep their eyes on Jesus Christ, our King, through all of it. And again, we pray for Sitle and Letabo from Grace Chapel in Durban, that you, Lord, that they would continue to find their joy in serving you and one another. Um, we pray for Letabo's health as they reach the end of their pregnancy. Pray for the church as a whole as they approach this crucial phase of their revitalization, where they'll be doing vision casting with regards to core values and mission that they would be united in all of that, Lord. And again, we just pray for Sikhle's trip uh, and grace over Litawa. She remains behind and heads up the household. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Friends, we are one church. And I hope that this would be a practice that we continue to, to continually be thinking about who else is out there and how can we be a blessing to them. So Paul reminds them, hey guys, 
we are one church. And then he transitions to say, hey, remember that we are on one mission. One church on one mission. We see this in verse 5 to 12. The one church of God has one mission. Paul reveals his plan to return to Corinth. He plans to go to them, but he finds himself caught up in Ephesus. And that's why he says, if the Lord allows. Some translations say, if the Lord permits. But, but let me give context to what's going on here in these verses. You can find it in Acts chapter 19. Paul's in Ephesus. He shows up to Ephesus, a, a city filled with idols, much like the city in Corinth. And so he begins to preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel, and people come to faith. And so they realize, gosh, listen, these idols have no power in them. I will never find purpose and fulfillment in them. And so they turn away from the idols and turn to Jesus. But, but this is what happens. This is what happens. The, the business of idols starts to go downhill. Those making idols are now concerned. It's like, hold on, people aren't buying our things anymore. No one's coming to us seeking good luck and, and good fortune and love from a, a, someone who left them. Guys, this stuff isn't brand new. It was happening back here as well. It was a business. And so as people are coming to faith and people are no longer desiring these idols, that market takes a hit. And so you can only imagine people are, are upset now. They're going, who on earth is this Paul? Who on earth is this Paul? There's now an economic recession because of this man, Paul, who's preaching Jesus. They are so upset that they, they gather in a stadium going, hey, listen, we want to talk to this Paul guy. Bring to me Paul. And so Paul's like, oh, okay, cool, they want to chat to me, let's go. But, but Paul's friends are like, Paul, hold on, buddy. No, 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 you don't want to go. These guys are angry, they're upset, it's not going to end well for you. But Paul, you know Paul, man, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He's like, I'll go. Like, I'm that guy that's like, oh, yeah, no, not today. And so they're like, no, buddy, don't do it, don't do it. They're upset. Why? Because this gospel, this mission has made its way into this city. Friends, I hope that, that that's what would happen here in Pretoria. That, that this one church would be on this one mission, changing the lives of people, that it would upset the city. That the idols in the city would collapse. Success, relationships, sex, money, accolades, they, they would all collapse because we are now in full view of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's getting crazy. And so Paul then says, okay, cool. Um, hey, because of this, he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, because of this, there's an opportunity. How ridiculous, right? It's not a business opportunity or an educational opportunity. He's saying, listen, they are rioting here because of the gospel. In fact, they want to kill me. Here's an opportunity, so I'm going I'm to stay. I'm going to stay. He realized that his labor was not in vain. And so he was immovable, steadfast. We saw this last week. I'm going to stay. There's a massive opportunity for more people to hear the gospel and come to Jesus. And so he then says, uh, um, I spoke to Apollos, right? If you remember the first four chapters, the, the issue, the division there was because of leaders. Some were like, man, I really love Apollos' preaching. It's off the chain. Paul, Paul's kind of boring because, uh, I mean, he preaches really, really slow. I mean, a dude fell out of the window. That's how boring Paul is. We want Apollos. 
And so he says, hey, listen, I, I asked Apollos if he would come, but Apollos was like, ah, uh, not today, buddy. I'm not going to become an idol for them. Because I know Corinth, it's all about uh, taking leaders and going, I love this one, I love that one. So Apollos is like, no, not, not now. I'm not doing that. And so Paul then says, okay, cool, I'll send Timothy. I'll send my disciple Timothy. Hey, and I want you guys to respect him because he's also doing the Lord's work. He may be young. He may be inexperienced. His illustrations may not be grand. He maybe stands like this when he preaches. But I want you to listen to him because he brings the gospel. Respect Timothy. Respect Timothy. Why? Because we are one church all on one mission. And so there's a lot, a lot that's jam-packed in these verses. There's a lot in here. A lot of it is jam-packed in these verses. But to be honest, to be honest, I think, I think if Paul was here today and he was writing this, right, these verses here in 2017, I, I believe that they would sound uh, something, like, something like this. Dear Corinthians, I am here with this letter written in my heart by God, signed, sealed, and delivered by the hands of heaven. I cannot let my eyes rest nor keep my echoing voice silent. This is not a burning concern, but a message to be planted in your hearts. Dear nation of the Most High, this is a mission that calls upon one sound, one mind and heart. For when the hands of time in heaven permit, we shall be grounded and firm like the mountains. Children of God, after passing Macedonia, I will reach you and be with you in good faith. And if the Spirit anchors me here for a reason, I believe that I will be with you in the changing of seasons. For I will rest and break bread during Pentecost and Emphasis. The words and work of God are waiting to be served through me. And if Timothy makes his way here, please make sure that fear does not lurk behind him. For he himself labors in the name of the Lord. No one should belittle his soul and be given the feeling of being nothing. For make, make way for him, for that in order for him to reach me, for I long for his presence. And in regard to brother Apollo, I insist that he comes with his brothers, for they play the role of angels right here on earth. This message is simple. As much as the mission is one like us with God, everything moves swiftly in one, especially aligned in one accord. For this is a mission that needs us to strap ourselves with the armor of faith, to face the world with the belt of hope that amounts to the love of God. This letter that I have written is inked with the penmanship of heaven, and I am transcribing it on behalf of the Lord who taught me his language. Let us part ourselves to be part of the outside and the inside of the church for fellowship with Jesus, be able to spring and sprout out throughout the world. Share the spiritual kiss amongst you to set the foundation of a heavenly bond. Let us reach a point of a union and to commune together on the wings of angels. Let us pack with these building blocks to build the mission of one church. 
fulfilling such a heavenly duty only paints smiles on faces of spirits. Don't, don't worry, that is not a calling on any form of spirits. <laughs> that is what I believe Paul would hear in writing this, that, that these very words are coming from heaven. That we are one church on one mission. But then Paul takes the time to mention a few other leaders. In verse 15, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present. What interesting names. Because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. You see, in Corinth, Stephanus and his household were identified as leaders to whom the Corinthians should willingly submit themselves to. But one of the biggest issues in Corinth was the competition for leadership. And because the Corinthians are easily impressed, they are easily swayed by the loudest voice, Paul therefore identifies exactly who in their church they should follow. Their chief characteristic is a commitment to serve the church and not be served by it. This is something that we should use in measuring our leaders. It's those who want to serve the church and don't just want to be served by it. Three men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, were among the group to come to visit Paul. Not only did these men deliver this letter that came from Corinth, they also shared their own report about the issues in Corinth just in case the guys had, didn't want to say everything that was going on. They're like, hey, here's the letter that was written by the folks in Corinth. Oh, and by the way, man, it's crazy. People are sleeping with one another. They're fighting over food. They've forgotten the gospel. We can only imagine what the Corinthians might have thought of these men. They could have easily been characterized as self-serving informants. I'm sure they weren't the favorites. People weren't inviting them over for dinner and brides. How dare they go and tell on us? Why don't they just tell Paul that everything is okay? You know, like we do on a Sunday. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm all right. Meanwhile, beneath the surface, it's chaos. And so these men were like, no, 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 no. We're going to tell it all because we are in desperate need of a savior. And so, Paul, would you lead us? Would you lead us to that Savior? Paul instructs the Corinthians to acknowledge the work of these men who denied their own comfort and did the dirty work. Paul says that we should be thankful for their boldness and their desire to see the gospel not only take root, but also to grow. Leaders are important, friends. Leaders are important. We don't glorify them. But we acknowledge them. We acknowledge the work that they do, the difficult work of shepherding. And so whether you're in a city group or a discipleship group or you show up here on a Sunday, just acknowledge that they do difficult work. But they do it to the glory of the Father. One mission. Paul then throws in an exhortation in the middle of all of this. It's kind of crazy. So it's almost like he's, he's writing kind of in his personal diary some thoughts. Hey, this guy, that guy, do this. 
It's kind of his last thoughts. But in the middle of all of that, he throws in an exhortation, a command, an encouragement, and maybe even a rebuke, depending on where you are. He says in verse 13, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Paul wants us to be alert and on guard, to be bold and to be courageous. Why? Because the enemy, the enemy, the devil prowls like a hungry lion seeking to devour us. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Friends, the devil isn't sitting back and just kind of letting us do whatever it is we want to do. I know some of us, we, we tend to think like that. And so, yes, the, the, for those who have crossed the line of faith, the, the, the devil can't, can't get a hold of you, but he can sure keep you from being the influence that you can be for the sake of the kingdom. And so for, for some of us, I, I kid you not, this is, this is how we enter into this mission, right? We've got our Bible like this, and then we go like, man, the mission of God, this is great. And then twirl and... Like, and we believe, we believe that, that, that the devil's going to be like, uh, on a tough day, on your tough day, the devil's going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, are you busy? Oh, you're trying to get into the word. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'll come back later. What, what time works best for you? When will you be at your strongest and then I'll show up then? That's not how he works. He comes at your lowest at that time when after church you've interacted with someone and you felt like, wow, that was a weird interaction. What was happening there? And now you're filled with confusion and anger and bitterness. That's when he shows up. And so Paul says, be on guard. Be alert. Be bold and courageous. He's out there and he does not want the church to thrive. We call ourselves a transcultural church. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. Let us not fool ourselves. But the danger is not only from outside. The danger is also from within. The danger is also from within, friends. See, it's easier to poison a well than to build it. And so Paul tells us to be careful. To be careful. In fact, in Matthew 7 Verse 15, hear these words of Jesus. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raging or ravaging wolves. Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years I've never stopped warning each one of you with tears. He says, friends, the danger is not only out there, but it's also from within. Guys, this is tiring. I hope that you would feel that almost in my voice, that this is tiring. To be on God the whole time is, is tiring, that this side of heaven, this is a reality for all of us. It's a reality for all of us. But how then do we do it? How then are we to be on God? He says in verse 14, do everything in love. Do everything in love. 
That as you engage uh, difficult people, do so in love. As you engage the outside world who does not want us to thrive, speak truth in love. And the only way I'm going to love you and others, the only way you're going to love others is is if we love God. See, we need to rest in His love. We, we need to sometimes just stop everything that we're doing. Yes, we're on this one mission, but we need to stop everything that we're doing. We're, we're going at 160, 180 kilometers per hour. We just need to stop for a moment and rest in His love. It's the only way that we're going to love others. What we need to tell ourselves is we need to be still and know that He is God, that He is still in control. What about the uncertainty of the the political climate and the economic climate? Be still and know that He is Lord, that He loves us more than we could ever imagine. We need to tell our souls to be still. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Lead to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy
And so some of us may need to hear that. That you feel like your life is falling apart. That you feel like it's too difficult to continue. That you hear this truth that we are one church on one mission. But, but how? How do I do this when, when I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow? The uncertainty of tomorrow is too much. Paul says, be still. Be still and know that he is Lord that he is seated on his throne and that he is fully in control, that nothing, nothing takes him by surprise. It, it may have caught you by surprise. That, that, that financial situation, all of a sudden, it's like, my goodness, I didn't realize I had to pay that. Or, or that health situation, I, I didn't realize that the, that was going to happen to me. None of it has caught him by surprise. And so be still and know that he is Lord. Paul then wraps up with these final words. He wraps up this whole letter with these final words. In verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their homes. See, Aquila was a Jew who lived in Rome with his wife Priscilla, but both had been evicted from Rome by the emperor Claudius. And so they were providing lodging for Paul during his visit in Corinth. And they traveled to Ephesus where they met Apollos and instructed him in the ways of Christ. That's who they are. Verse 20, all the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Oh Lord, come. See, we are called as one church into one mission with one gospel. Paul ends his letter with several greetings from the churches they had never met, as well as some greetings from some friends, those who were on mission. But most importantly, Paul tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss. See, all Christians everywhere are part of one big church, the universal church, big C church. But you and I, we live and experience the local church, the small C church. And it's here where we are to greet one another with a holy kiss, to be affectionate with one another. See, this holy kiss was an intimate act that would have broken through any, any, any issue that was causing, causing division in the church. See, today our affection really extends beyond a cold handshake, a lifeless hug, one of those side ones, like where you're like, I don't know what we're doing. Are we, are we Okay. Or maybe just an awkward wave. The question is not one of pragmatics, but one of attitude. How do we view this fellowship, this body, this local church? Do we really want to embrace one another in love? Are we willing to be that close? Are we willing to look deeper, deeper than color and gender and culture and socioeconomic class, the non-essential theological convictions, the styles of music, our dress code, etc., etc., etc.? Are we willing to look deeper? Notice I didn't say ignore. I didn't say ignore. I said look 
deeper. See, all those things matter and are part of God's creative genius. But we want to build on the foundation that the church is made up of children of God first. Children of God first and then male and female and black and white and colored and Indian and rich and poor and those who support Arsenal. I'm sorry. See, my greatest hope, my greatest hope is for people to be overwhelmed by our friendliness, by Rooted Fellowship's friendliness, that, that people will know one another, they will welcome one another, that we will actually miss one another. When we haven't seen one another in a while, that we would actually miss one another, that we would pursue one another and love one another. Paul signs this letter with a benediction. This is how he ends it. He ends it with a benediction. In verse 23, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. The last two verses of this letter turn us all back to where we find the motivation, the means, the model to do any of this. To be one church on one mission with one gospel. What's the motivation? What, what is the means? It's the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus. If there's any church that deserves to be blown up from one word, it's this church in Corinth. Paul could have come hard at them. But Paul begins and ends his letter with grace. Our hope for change in our hearts is not hoping we decide that more people would behave differently. That's not what we're after. Our hope is that people would be genuinely, genuinely changed by the grace of God. We don't welcome one another because we've earned it by becoming more religious or more good. We love because Christ loved us. We love because Christ loved us. And if we don't love one another, the question should be, do we really know Christ? Do we really know Christ? And so Rooted Fellowship, we wrap up our 30-week series by receiving this benediction from Paul. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Hey, church, you're part of one church, one mission, one gospel. So all of you receive this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. That is my hope. After 30 weeks of navigating through this book, that is my hope that we would receive the grace that comes from Jesus that we would receive the love that comes from Jesus and that would drive us to persevere until he's returned. The grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come, having wrapped up this book, having seen so much of ourselves in it, that we too wrestle with so much of, of what the, the, the folks in Corinth wrestled with but yet the same grace that was poured over them is the same grace that is poured over us. And so, Lord, help us to be that one church that, on that one mission with that one gospel here in the city of Pretoria, but that the influence would not just be here, that it would overflow into, into the rest of the city and, and the rest of this province and the rest of this country. Lord, we want to see this continent turn to you because of your grace and your love. 
And so help us to be that church, to be that family who's constantly pointing one another to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Friends, there's multiple ways to respond to this. So not just this sermon, but this entire letter. Multiple ways to respond. Often we sing, we pray. Sometimes we hear testimonies like last week when we got to baptize a few folk. But, but this morning, I find it fitting that we get to respond with communion. With the taking of bread and the drinking of the, the wine or the, the juice. Guys, listen, nothing magical about these elements. Ordinary elements, but it's what they point to, what they remind us of, and that is the death and burial of Jesus. And so this is how we respond, by taking of this bread that reminds us of Jesus' body broken for us, and then drinking of the, the wine or the juice and, and being reminded of the blood that was shed for us. And that this is for all Christians, for all who have crossed the line of faith, for all those who look to Jesus as Savior, that you get to partake in this. And we do this together. And so at Rooted Fellowship, we practice an open table. And what that simply means is you don't have to be a regular attender or a member of Rooted Fellowship. You just have to have crossed the line of faith. That you have to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That I understand the gospel. That is who this is for. And so if you are not a Christian, maybe you're journeying, maybe you're wrestling through some of this stuff, then don't partake of this because it doesn't mean anything to you. But, but hear the invitation. Hear the invitation when I say, Jesus is inviting you to enter into this beautiful relationship with him so that we might be reconciled back to the Father. And so Jesus is saying to you this morning, stop running to all these different things, hoping to find fulfillment and life in them. It will never satisfy you. He says, turn to me. And yes, it may be confusing and, and not altogether clear. That's why we're here as a community is that we journey together. But he's saying, listen, just receive. Today, receive. And if that's you this morning, then you for the first time can partake in communion. Having laid down your life and saying, I'm in desperate need of a Savior and that Savior is you, Jesus. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray very briefly. And as you feel led. I want you to get up and go and partake of the bread and partake of the wine and the juice being reminded of the sacrifice that was made for us. And so, Father, let that be true of all of us today, that we, we get to participate because of what was done on the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so for many of us, we're coming again and maybe we're wrestling. Maybe the evil one is lying to us and telling us, oh, God will never forgive you for what you did uh, last year or last month or last night. That is a lie. But God, you continue to forgive. You continue to stretch out your hand to receive us, that we are like the prodigal son, running into the arms of a loving father. And so, Lord, even for those maybe today who are on the fence and going, I, I don't know, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to lead them into this beautiful, loving relationship with you. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us to partake together as one body on one mission with one gospel in this very fellowship here this morning. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.